This is episode six of the Latter-day Saint Geeks podcast. I'm Spencer, and in this episode, Rob and I discuss the second season of Loki on Disney+, Plus, what we enjoyed, and where we wanted to go from here. Welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Saint Geeks podcast. I'm Spencer, and I've got Rob with me tonight. We got some uh, fun stuff planned for you. Yes, we do. So, we're going to talk about the Loki season two, the series in general, as it uh, unofficially wraps up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that kind of impacts the Marvel Cinematic Universe from this point onward but before we get into that um like we've like we do we're gonna start with our recommendations um i've been re-watching the good place um it's only four seasons and each season is 13 episodes long so it's not a long commitment and I definitely have my critiques, but it knew when to stop. It knew not to overstay its welcome. And it knew how to tell a story, um, flaws and all, and to just tell it instead of having 30 episodes of filler for 10 years. Uh So it's available on Netflix and I mean, I've written about it a couple times, and I got some some uh, more thoughts about it coming up on the blog at some point, but that's where I've been lately. Rob, what about you? Awesome. Thanks, Spencer. Yeah, I love that. So uh, it occurred to me to recommend um, something a little different. I've been enjoying this um independent artist quite a bit just on social media you know scrolling through facebook so her name is andrea and she has a page called delicate dots and what she does the art the art style she does is mandalas um which are let me bring up my hold on Well, basically, mandalas are a geometric art form that has ancient roots and represents, um, like, ancient spiritual beliefs. Um, And I'm I'm not an expert in it at all. I just really enjoy, um, you know, sort of her explanation of her art process and then seeing the finished result. You know, it's really, really satisfying to see. The art that she creates um and i don't know it's been maybe six months to a year that i think that i you know have been subscribed to this page and i think it's just really cool that independent artists get you know can sort of create this kind of content and reach a bigger audience so i would check it out if you're if you're into that kind of thing so Andrea with delicate dots. So she has like YouTube, Facebook, all the socials. I'll definitely include her her 
Lincoln bio in the show notes on the blog. Mm-hmm. Kind of point our listeners towards her. You know, she's not sponsoring the show at all. You know, I just, you know, would figured I'd do her a favor. I know that, you know, hundreds and thousands will flock to her after this recommendation on the podcast. All fives and tens of people that uh, <laughs> subscribe to us at this point. You're right. Oh, gosh. Um, um, it's funny because I know podcasts take a long time to build up steam and we're definitely still amateurs at this. <laughs> and it's all good. We're having a good time. Yeah, we're having fun. Um, this uh be perfect for, I don't even know if I've told you this, but I'm taking our podcast episodes and turning them into YouTube videos to make them more accessible to the people who, um, you know, don't want to deal with Spotify or whatever. They just want to, but they'll have YouTube on in the background. So yeah, this would be a nice one to, you know, a nice still to put on the screen during the podcast episode, but still working on translating our first episode into YouTube video. So probably it'll be a little while till we get to this one. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Um, But yeah, today, um, as we're recording this, the, um, it's always a little bit of a timey-wimey situation because we record episodes in advance and then don't always release them right away. But I think this one is going to be the one of the quickest turnaround times that we'll have. Um, this The season finale is not even going to be two weeks old by the time we release this episode. So be one of the quickest turnaround times that we have for the for the podcast. So... Hope that means we're getting better at this. <laughs> right. It'll give our audience and myself time to uh, finish the season. <laughs> if you haven't already, <laughs> like me, I think I'm on episode three or four. Probably, I think I finished episode four. Um, Spencer, oh. you've 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 watched the entire season two, right? Oh yeah, I think I was up with my nine month old. Um, the night of the night it was released, uh, came out. So I got, <laughs> I watched it like hours after it premiered. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. So uh, it's a, it was definitely an interesting uh, finale. And I am, um, there's going to be spoilers here. And Rob's already been warned that mm-hmm. the, episodes that he has not finished um he's gonna get some spoilers along the way here um but that's just how this life goes i guess um, well why don't we start with you had we, we both kind of picked three points of where we want to go from here um or what we, what we want to discuss so why don't you take your first one about Loki and the female Loki variant um, who they, in the series, they call Sylvie. So Loki and Sylvie. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
just just a quick note i i feel pretty neutral about spoilers generally because i am still interested in seeing exactly how things happen and generally when there's like you know information that is you know there's maybe like a big twist at the end or something like that i, I it generally doesn't really ruin shows or movies for me that's just a funny thing about me but um yeah so loki and sylvie like i really liked their relationship in season one and the way sylvie's character was handled especially um i really like sort of the menacing um villainous character who is in the shadows being pursued or being discussed by a lot of different characters and then gets you know introduced maybe in the middle um, of things after there's been a lot of action and you know pretty much everything in season one revolved around her for the first half at least and so yeah, far from what I've seen, I think they've I think they've handled it pretty well. Like the ending of season one where there was sort of just the like like they ended season one with a big rift between Loki and Sylvie. They didn't agree on how to, you know, handle the whole thing with, with Kong. That's his name, right? The um, guy in, in the Loki, they just call him he who remains, but when he yeah. appeared in Ant Man, they called him King. King, so... yeah. And in season two, we see a, another variant of him called uh, Victor Timely. But yeah, they're all pretty interchange interchangeable in my mind. Just different variants of each other. Just like, you know, Tom Holland's Spider-Man and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. <laughs> Loki, Sylvie, it's all just different variants of the same character. Yeah. At least that's how yeah. I'm led to believe these, uh, led to understand these things work. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And then, and then, so in season two, so one of my favorite scenes so far has been when Loki, Sylvie, and Victor Timely are in that um, Ferris wheel um, compartment, mm -hmm. and Loki and Sylvie <laughs> are very you know passionately trying to defend you know what's happening later on they end up like in victor timely's you know island lab you know whatever it is like those scenes i felt were handled really well because um the their their two different sides of things were clashing you know very strongly um so I just really, I really appreciate it when you can see, when you see characters fighting for something that they believe in and it's, it's very clear and, you know, there's not, there's not any clear resolution to what's happening. Um, it's, it's, you know. When it, you add it, into that, the, there's no clear right or wrong with this whole thing, that they mm -hmm. both have good powerful motivations and despite them both being loki's and the god of mischief um they both have this uh the very good 
like uh, Loki wants to keep the like he's he's genuinely scared of this multiversal war um and sylvie just wants to enable free will like both of those are good things mm -hmm. um and we can we may or may not get into all of that what that entails but you know they like you said they both have powerful um how'd you phrase it um they're just in conflict like their yeah. conflict is driving the action of the story and i love what you said about there not being a really clear right or wrong mm -hmm. um, you know i think that sylvie is a little bit more driven by her anger and her past trauma she doesn't feel like a totally reliable um narrator i don't know yeah. <laughs> how you would say that but like loki it's more out of character for him to be defending somebody or standing up for their you know maybe it's out of self-preservation or you know whatnot like i you know hardcore fans that are like super following marvel are going to be like rolling their eyes at me a little bit but you know just as somebody who's like um you know i'm i'm enjoying the series and and at the same time i'm not a super huge marvel fan in terms of like like really really diving in and like um knowing all the background and the details and everything but like i think i think it's really interesting like loki's character to me feels like somebody who is is working on turning over a new leaf he is he's he's had sort of a, a revelation you know and all the series is sort of following up on that where he he understands that the multiverse is you know there's this delicate balance there and he basically accidentally has a shot at um life again you know after seeing how he you know mm. an, an alternate version of him was killed by thanos so yeah it's it, i think it's really interesting where it feel it feels sort of like loki is like he's on edge he's a little unhinged but defending victor timely is sort of you know maybe part of some kind of redemption or just like at least him standing up for something that he wouldn't normally because he's he has a new sense of purpose about it and the fact that Sylvie is adamantly um, trying to prevent Victor Timely from becoming Kang. She's trying to, you know, prevent, you know, mm -hmm. anybody from continuing to, like, prolong the life of the, um, what do they call it again? The, the, the big organization. The TVA. Uh, the TVA, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, this yeah. kind of this kind of ties directly into one of the um, points that I sent you, and mm -hmm. but this is where the spoilers begin for you. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, in episode five, it was I. I swear it could have been a little bit of a plot out of a, you know, anime or something because I swear the plot 
uh, and revelation of episode five, season two, episode five, science slash fiction, was that um, it was it seemed like it was Loki and the power of friendship. <laughs> um, because this version of Loki, which started at the out of Avengers Endgame, like the same twenty twelve Loki that was bent on conquering earth with the chitari you know none of ragnarok none of you know um none of the dark elves just straight out of new york city he gets this revelation like you said he saw the the ultimate version of himself get killed by thanos but even then he was like craving the power of the tva or however you want to go about it he in over the course of season one he had multiple attempts or multiple experiences that basically well literally in in, in a way i suppose had him look at himself in the mirror um first with seeing that loki that was killed by thanos but then seeing variants of himself in sylvie and then at the end of time he had the kid loki and the um i think they called him classic loki um played by richard grant it was a, it was a big deal <laughs> as well as all the other nameless or titleless loki's that appeared at the end of time and there's but there's like oh 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 and i can't forget about loki gator <laughs> right oh you can't forget about the loki gator um, loki, some loki gator um but yeah he uh saw all these variations of himself and right as he was trying to be the best version of himself alongside sylvie which falling in love with your own variant that's a certain kind of narcissism um but uh, that's a i don't think that was on our um on our agenda for tonight <laughs> <laughs> but by the end of season one he just he cares about sylvie he cares about to whatever extent the multiverse and he cares about um mobius he's genuinely got friends by the end of season one and then by the end of season two um particularly in episode five he's jumping through time as the multiverse is like dissolving um for reasons we'll address in a moment <laughs> and all he can do, all he wants to do is protect his friends and have these friends. He doesn't want to lose these people that he finally feels accepted by. And it enables him to kind of tap into the power of the time slipping, which they never really address by the end of season two, even why he's time slipping exactly. But you know, with all the time travel and stuff, I'm sure there's some rationale that the writers could give as to why the time slipping 
what what caused the time slipping in the first place but he learns to control it and because of the bond he feels with the people he wants to save so like i said it sounds like something out of a you know an anime or something you know yeah some the power of friendship but it it shows you know from compared to the loki that we met in the first thor movie well, compared to that one and even compared to the one that died in infinity war um just a lot of growth has happened in the meantime to the point that at the end of season two he all but sacrifices himself to save the multiverse um they kind of left it open-ended with a one with how he saved the multiverse and two with how like his state like if he's alive if he could come back um it's been hinted that this iteration of loki is done um tom hiddleston kind of made it sound like he was done with the series or with the character but anything's possible it, these are superhero um can this is a superhero canon you know crazier things have happened <laughs> yeah but but it was almost like loki was healing the timeline all right he, the timelines plural um in an attempt and with the intent to save his friends that's all he cared about in the end of which is kind of beautiful and kind of very tragic I agree. I think Loki is a pretty tragic character, especially because of events in the Avengers movie. He's kind of irredeemable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure I remember him just straight up murdering people, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and like I think I have this image of him like Dabbing someone in the eye with his Loki staff. Yes, that's right. Yep, he's, he's in Germany. Trying, he's stealing. So, what was he stealing from that museum? I think he was stealing his eye. Oh yeah, for he the eye scan to get through the security system. Yep. Yeah, so he's he's done some pretty irredeemable things, and so but this is fiction, so we can redeem anything. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, my wife has been watching Once Upon a Time, and there are villains redeemed in that show that in real life, they'd be like serial killers, but we can still redeem them right. in these fantastical stories. So, yeah, but, I mean, I guess the, the tragic part is that you see a character like this genuinely do something that is selfless, like they're putting themselves in harm's way or like risking their life or maybe giving their life in order to save other people. So it's like this sense of like, I'm actually a little moved by 
the the good thing that they're doing and at the same time like what they've done in the past was you know inexcusable that kind of thing so so i mean yeah i think it's really really hard for a show to really pull that thing off and actually make you root for a character loki is i don't know he has a weird likability and i kind of i kind of just like hand wave the stuff from you know the first avengers movie a little bit because it's just like well if i think too much or like take what he did a little if i take that very seriously and you know have more of a real life perspective on it it's like well i can't even enjoy the loki show at all because <laughs> it's like I, well i can't root for you you're you're you know Anyway, minutes but, ago you were trying to take over New York. Exactly. You were trying to take over New York. You like, you know, murdered people for no reason. It's kind of like a yeah. Um, but if you kind of just like allow fiction to be fiction and you know suspend disbelief and try to enjoy the writer, the the show for what the writers are trying to do with it, then it's like, okay, I actually, you know, I think it's you know the idea of redemption is always a good you know it usually it usually makes for a good plot when it's handled well and i think you know they've they've done a good job with it that wasn't even a point that i wanted to make yeah. but, you know just just following up on what you were talking about a minute ago well whenever i have that inner discussion with myself like when like i said when my wife's watching once upon a time or when i'm watching loki uh, or you know any of these you know darth vader that they're horrible done horrible things but they are redeemable in fiction i'm like no they're not redeemable they can't do this but in real life especially coming from our religious perspective i kind of have to also believe like even these horrible people are redeemable um how yeah i have no idea and that's why i'm glad it's not me that's going to be judging people on judgment day <laughs> yeah but yeah but it also gives us an idea i think we have this instinctive feeling uh, this instinctive knowledge that um that we that people are redeemable whether they choose to be or not it's another question but um mm-hmm. i don't know i think there's something powerful about that yeah I agree. And I think it's I think it's like an interesting choice when that's the character that is at the center of the whole series. Like the mm-hmm. character that's not really redeemable, but the arc of their, you know, their you know, transformation for, through the the you know, the story is to go from somebody who would do these horrible things and excusable horrific things and go through a transformation where they would do wonderful, you know, very admirable, amazing things. Um, yeah. And like, that's, I mean, that's, that is what we hope for. That is, you know, what we try to do. Like that's, you know, 
my everyday job is sort of trying to give people opportunities, you know, to get out of really, really challenging situations or, you know, help people create that transformation. So it's kind of like, you know, the details and like the background, like we can't, we can't necessarily judge without knowing, you know, like we don't know the context. We don't know what challenges people were going through and we don't know what they're capable of in the future in the end of the day. So it's, Mm -hmm. You know, we nice can't fully disregard it all, but we can't. Uh, yeah, we can't let that limit them either. Yeah, humanity is a complex subject. <laughs> yeah, we're we're getting we're getting in the weeds. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to a couple of characters that you had uh, you'd mentioned that um, really stood out to you: um, Owen Wilson's Mobius, and then Miss Minutes. Okay, yeah. Um yeah, I think Owen Wilson is really interesting and so I mean it's Mobius's character, Mobius. Um he's kind of resisting an identity crisis. Like the people in the TVA have to decide what they're going to do with the information that what they've been told for millennia apparently was a lie like the tva wasn't founded by you know these three you know godlike beings you know yeah um and so just from what i've seen in the show he's mobius says things like i like my life my life is fine i don't need to know about who i was before or if i have a family or anything everything's fine um which is such a funny response and i think that is what most people would do in that situation honestly as the viewer you're looking at it and you're like you are insane like that is a terrible yeah terrible way to respond to this like you know, forget the TVA, they're they're ridiculous. But for him, he's been there for such a long time. You know, he's he's a happy guy. He's he's a decent guy. And well, and then you take into account that like he um take into account that like he was like the first one at the TVA to like rebel back in season one. And then when given the opportunity to traverse the timeline and figure out where did he actually come from, he chooses not to, at least at first. So it's a, which I think goes along with what you're saying that like, hey, this, you know, it seems like a straightforward idea to just, and he, and we do later in season two, see where he came from and his family which as a dad, I think it's going to pull at your heartstrings. Um, but when actually put in that situation of having to confront um, those different realities, the, the life you thought you knew and the life that could have been, what's harder? You know, Is it easier to just go along not knowing? Or is it... Or is it uh, worth confronting what could have been Mm -hmm. yeah another one of those ambiguous situations what's Mm -hmm. what's really the right thing to do at that point 
Yeah. Um, and it's kind of it. It reminds me of Star Trek a little bit, just how there's um to sort of shift gears. Like Star Trek was, you know, has just so many brilliant social commentaries that mm-hmm. are like pretty apparent if you're reading between the lines but you know it's it makes it more palatable because you know it's all fantasy um and with this it's like what do you do when there's some crisis like you learn something about an organization or you know like a a social institution that you've put your trust in that you've depended on relied on and then you learn new information about like the leaders or the founders or things and then you you know there's there's cognitive dissonance there mm-hmm. and what do you do what do you do with that information so i think that's a really really interesting dilemma and i'm I'm glad that they are emphasizing that in the show. And it, it's funny because like as I was watching the show, it was just sort of bothering me. But then as I, as I was thinking about getting ready for um, talking about the show for the podcast, I, I started to like the whole, the whole idea more, you know, and just hoping that, um, when I finish the series, like hoping it's handled in a way that is enjoyable. I think you'll enjoy it. You know, yeah. I think you'll enjoy where, where Mobius ends up, but it's a definitely more complicated and, or at least more, maybe nuanced is the right word, but it's definitely it's def it definitely was not an easy decision as it took I mean it took the all of season two for him to make the decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and go straight from Mobius into Miss Minutes. Yeah. Um yeah, I you know, basically what I have to say about Miss Minutes is I love the villain that she became in the episode with Victor Timely. <laughs> I loved it. I so freaking creepy. Like, do you remember that uh, um, stalker girlfriend meme? Is it the the creepy girl holding the knife? Or I don't know. I mean, I like classic meme that uh, just like the overbearing girlfriend. And she, the overly attached girlfriend is what people call it. And that's how I kind of visualize uh, um, Miss Minutes some t- after that episode. Just like, if I can't have you, no one can. Yep. Yep. And also brings yeah. to mind a, um, a line from a bad lip reading video, but uh, that's probably too big of a tangent, even for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> But there you go. Um, I sent you the meme that I was. Uh... Okay, let me see. Okay, <laughs> all right. You you seeing it? I see it. I see it. I mean, <laughs> so for any of our listeners, pause, 
Google overly attached girlfriend meme and you'll see what I'm talking about. But yeah. Um so uh, I love that we don't really know what Miss Minutes is or what she's capable of. She there's kind of an all-powerful quality to her. Mm -hmm. Like like Victor Timely's able to like shut her off or whatever whatever he did you know in that episode when when it's just him and her in his lab so it's like that's also that also makes a really good villain too where there's like a really clear limit to her power mm -hmm. but at the same time there's a mystery of like if that mechanism breaks or you know if somebody if they don't have access to it if she gains control over it for some reason like then what is she capable of um, you know, she can just sort of appear and disappear anywhere she wants, and you know, Which like is kind of what happened. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one thing I'm excited for as I you know continue and finish the series. Like, what's she gonna do? She's you know she's capable of you know doing some stuff, and she's highly motivated to get her way. You know, she's been waiting a very very long time to you know, obtain a body and, you know, to have what she wants, so. Well, and that's one of the things that, honestly, I was kind of disappointed about that her and Judge Renslayer we were built up in those first few episodes and then kind of just seemed like they were tossed off to the side for the last couple episodes. I thought I expected to them to have a bit from the end of the series. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. The other thing I wonder too is it's like, okay, Miss Minutes can do all this stuff. What was in it for her to be running the TVA for all those years? Like, did she just get the satisfaction from basically being in charge and holding all the cards and that was good enough for her, but now the TVA is sort of falling apart and you know, like things have changed. So she's taking an opportunity that she, you know, didn't have before. I don't know. I, I think it might be just, I think honestly it might just be that an AI that got too smart for herself. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, guys, Maybe. beware AI. Don't let AI yeah. control your life. I think there's a message right there. Mm -hmm. Not one that was intended, but I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, And I don't know if, later on in the series it'll explain that like he who remains was sort of keeping her in check and like you know preventing her from like preventing her ai from going out of control but um yeah it's I'll not in you... control anymore yeah i'll let you judge for yourself when you get there yeah cool cool well that's that's pretty much what i had to say about miss minutes so let's switch over to yeah temporal... let's talk about so I swear the whole the whole of season two, they're trying to fix this temporal loom that OB has like all these plans. And I kept asking myself, like, if the multiverse is such a natural occurrence, like like he who remains made it sound like, then why does it why do we need the temporal loom now? Like when the TVA was trying to keep just the sacred timeline the temporal loom kind of makes sense 
but now that <clears throat> now that we're allowing the multiverse and at least some of these branch timelines to exist why does the temporal loom matter and it actually and maybe one of our listeners can you know email us or message us and tell me something that i didn't understand about the temporal loom but the whole time during those first like the during i think it was not until the season finale that they kind of um that they uh, explain the temporal loom but i'm just thinking the whole time what's the point of this thing if the multiverse just exists why do we need a temporal loop and come to find out in the season finale it's it the temporal loom is the fail safe to prune the branches that uh, he remains one pruned and so i'm like so we spent all this time trying to fix the temporal loom that didn't need to be there and it's just going to blow up the timeline anyways so mm -hmm. i don't know i i feel like there's more to that mythos than was explained um because it was a you know the series ended with loki kind of in my mind healing like i said before like healing the the timelines with the power of friendship or whatever you know it's a like if the time if the multiverse is so as scary as he who remains made it sound and it should just happen naturally it shouldn't need someone to heal it or keep it in check so if you understand what the temporal loom is supposed to be doing and why it needed to be fixed, you let me know. Because um, the best I can think of is that the TVA couldn't exist without, without the temporal loom. But okay. even then, I'm like, if we're letting the timeline run free, if we're letting the multiverse run free, why do we need to worry about the TVA? Why not just evacuate the place? Mm -hmm. um, in the end, in the closing part of the last episode, they make it, it they kind of make it seem without explicitly saying it so, saying so that instead of the tva being there to prune branches the tva is more watching for kang and his variants kind of trying to keep him in check more than trying to keep the sacred timeline um so in the end i guess there is a purpose for the tva but for five and a half episodes I was I I couldn't understand why the temporal loom was such a big deal. Mm -hmm. But something that I, I I felt it could have been explained or explored better. Yeah, that's interesting to think of, like what you just said that these people from the TVA that are still like aggressively pruning branches and preserving a sacred timeline like it's it's all about preventing all of king's variants from 
escaping and like wreaking havoc even even that was kind of vague like are they just watching for king or are they pruning the branches that king comes from like even that was i mean with where season two ended the only the only one king variant had really come across their radar and it was the they kind of allude to it being the king that appeared in the third ant-man movie so they, they only and then and the only reason we know that is they called it earth 616 adjacent so my the quantum realm of earth 616 which dr strange established as our main universe but mm. it's a uh, the whole concept of the tva and the timeline in season two just I, I i liked I, but when at the same time i liked season two better than season one so i don't know how mm. it was a you know complicated emotion there yeah because um, i felt like at the end of season one we had it was we were open to the what if series which was just announced to have its second season premiere in December. Um, nine days of nine episodes, I believe it said. Um, but because of uh, Sylvie killing who, He Who Remains, we were led to believe, okay, what if is, that's where what if comes from. That's where the Spider-Man variants come from. That's where the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness comes from. Heck, and before we started recording, I kind of alluded to this, but like that's where the Marvel Netflix series characters could have come from. You know, the Netflix series could be its own strand of the multiverse. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. could be its own strand of the multiverse. Yeah, depending on how far you want to take it, um, the Fox X-Men movies could be another strand or like, I swear, six different strands with how they did times travel in those movies but <laughs> but it it opens it up for like everything to be canon but then in season two it's like but let's rein it in and maintain this temporal loom that doesn't have a very well-defined purpose anymore mm -hmm. so yeah it almost has like a macguffin feel to me where it's like we just need a thing to create tension and to give characters something to do. Yeah. Or so. it's like we just rely on the fact that the characters care about it and are afraid to, you know, generate the storyline and yeah. what it actually does, you know, we don't know and we're not going to explain it. You know, <laughs> Well, and when it was explained, it was a it's a failsafe. It was his failsafe, which I kind of think it, it, now that you're saying that, like, I feel like I would have been more invested in it if we they would have known from earlier on that like this isn't helping us. This is this is the uh, this failsafe is a threat to the multiverse. So we have to learn to control and contain it so that the multiverse doesn't implode uh, yeah i feel like i would have cared more about the temporal loom if i'd have known it was a failsafe sooner yeah 
Yeah. Instead, I'm led to believe for five and a half episodes that fixing the temporal loom was going to fix the multiverse instead of the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like the first few episodes gave the impression that if the temporal loom fails, then it will like it'll be like a, an atomic bomb going off it's going to you know destroy destroy the multiverse yeah um i don't know again call to our listeners if you understand the temporal loom better than i did <laughs> message us on instagram message us on facebook because i'm at a loss but i still enjoyed the season yeah you enjoyed it more than season one yeah i'm intrigued so i guess there's there's only five there's only six episodes so Mm -hmm. i only i think i only have two more to go so Mm -hmm. well the only other thing i had was i wanted to kind of discuss where do we go from here you know Mm -hmm. loki has preserved the multiverse um, you'll get to see how he uses the power of friendship to preserve the multiverse, despite the temporal loon failsafe. Um, but the the thing that uh, it, it it does leave some things just somewhat open ended. Um, you know, the TVA is watching for more kings. Um, Loki is not dead, but he's in this like stasis as the i I guess marvel's kind of termed him the god loki which i kind of thought they were all god loki but okay um it's a so we'll see what happens because we were supposed to have the king dynasty as our fifth avengers movie but i don't know if it's you know creative differences or Jonathan Majors who plays King and he who remains is in the middle of some legal trouble from what I understand so I don't know if Marvel's doing a you know like a the media did with Johnny Depp when he was going through his legal trouble if they're trying to just kind of brush that off to the side until it's all resolved but the reports and articles I'm seeing the last few days make it sound like the reports I'm seeing the last few days are saying that Marvel's moving away from the Kang storyline, which, I mean, the, the writers are making it sound like, oh yeah, we're satisfied with how this story ended. And I'm just thinking you're what like you set up this like council of kings in ant-man 3 and you set up the multiversal war in loki um with all his variants and i mean i've only known outside of loki and ant-man i've only known kang in i think one marvel cartoon that i watched but he was a big deal that took all the Avengers to beat. So 
I, I suspect there's more going on than just uh um than just creative differences, but it is what it is, I suppose. So I'm curious what where Marvel will go with any of these loose threads and if they'll try to pick them up anywhere along the way. But then again they haven't they haven't exactly addressed the giant celestials that was left uh, uh, peeking out through the clouds in Eternals so mm -hmm. it's not like there's a whole not a bunch of uh, loose ends that we just choose to ignore in the Marvel universe as it is yeah it would be interesting to hear what how that that whole conversation goes behind the scenes. They have, um, you know, a lot of different, a lot of different lore to draw from to decide, you know, which direction they want to go. And uh, yeah, I, I just hope that if they, if it is because of Jonathan Major's uh, legal trouble, um, that I hope they do it tastefully and they take care of it all um in a good way um unlike I, I just remember johnny depp being recast for the fantastic beast movies and it just like ignoring the fact that all of a sudden grindelwald looks completely different mm -hmm. it's a magical world they could have had any number of explanations as to why his appearance was different and they made it seem like that was how he looked the whole time but mm -hmm. so I'm hoping Marvel kind of handles it better than that. Um, I'm hoping they don't just let these threads um, just hang perpetually. But then again, like you said, they got so much lore to pull from, they can pretty much do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. um, there's rumors yeah. of the Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom being brought in, but then again we've had rumors of fantastic four ever since um i remember rumors about reed richards during wandavision and that didn't happen <laughs> but we'll see i just hope it's well written that's all I want. yeah yeah whatever they end up doing i just hope it's well written yeah man uh, thanks for joining us uh, for this discussion on Loki. Let us know your thoughts. You can find us on our socials and um, keep checking in. See you later, guys. All right. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Latter-day Saint Geeks podcast. We're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we don't represent the church in any official capacity. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can see our show notes and blog posts on latterdaysaintgeeks.com, and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Latter-day Saint Geeks. Music was provided courtesy of David Schradel.